Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Greetings and welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. All you conversationalists, you thrill seekers, you intellectuals out there, all across the fruited plain of the Alpha Quadrant, I am your host, the Doctor Dilithium, your anchor man of the Federation, Jonathan Wiegand. Uh, welcome to part two of the Breen. Uh, as I like to say, be gone, thought. <laughs> so that will make no sense unless you listen to last week's episode on the Breen and kind of their military structure. Probably go over it again in um, today's episode as well, just a brief recap. I mean, how could you not make that the title of it? You know, it's just, it, it writes itself. The puns are great. Anyway, if you haven't listened to the first episode, please go back and do that. It'll be great. We're kind of building on a foundation that we set last week, so it'll be um, make a lot more sense if you do that. I will say, this past week has been absolutely bonkers for me with work with just my schedule i think i worked probably 40 hours in like three days like it was absolutely nuts kind of a schedule for me this week and then like thursday i just like recovered (laughs) because it was just absolutely nuts and it's just that time of year in accounting but it praise the lord it's finally over and we can kind of get back to normal so that's why this episode's coming out on sunday not in the midweek like normal but i will say we have kind of get back to normal schedule after getting sick and traveling and this work like i'm finally glad to kind of get back into podcasting uh normalcy again so thank you guys for uh sticking with me and being and listening i really appreciate it but like i said Today we're going to be deep diving a little more on the brain, kind of going into this icy species. Are they icy? We'll get into it. I mean, for example, going over today, like how the Alpha Quadrant, you know, heavy hitters met them, interact with them, um, a little bit more history on the brain in the Alpha Quadrant, as well as kind of what happened to them after the Dominion War. And then there's a few more uh, like theories on what they look like. So it's it's a lot of fun and I enjoyed like researching this and, and watching a lot of good old DS9 episodes. And anyway, always remember to rate, review, and subscribe. I think we're on Amazon now, Amazon Podcast. So we're literally everywhere. But Luna, let's roll that beautiful Breen footage. Okay, so like I said, we're going to start off kind of with the heavy hitters of the Alpha Quadrant, how they interacted and how they first met the Breen. Um, Starting off with the Klingons, you know, the Klingons as a warrior race are always expanding and kind of conquesting. So it doesn't surprise me that they're one of the first people to interact with the Breen. You see, sometime in the uh, age of the Klingon Second Empire, maybe around the 22nd century, uh, Chancellor Malga discovered new territory, reigned over, kind of by a passive species, and he declared it to be, you know, the Empire, as in, you know, the, how the Klingons conquest. He actually amassed an armada to assault this new species' homeworld and sent this fleet of mighty ships and, like, you know what I'm talking about, the glory-seeking warriors deep into that space. 
and then they were never heard of again. Hmm. Their entire fleet vanished, and then ever since that happened, Klingons have been super kind of freaked out, very wary of this kind of mysterious species, the Breen, in their space, and um, the Romulans have this saying called, never turn your back on a Breen, or never turn your back on a thought, <laughs> which could be. I don't know if that's going to be the title, Luna. We're just, we'll work it out in post. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Luna, my intern, everyone, if you don't know. Anyway, speaking of the Romulans, so in the year 2268, the Romulans actually made first contact with the Breen and actually began kind of like this tentative trade talk. And while they were still kind of cautious, you know, Romulans are going to Romulate, they kind of very knew little of the Breen. And any species that can kind of keep secrets from the Romulans are worth, you know, that caution. So the Romulans were very cautious. Speaking of Romulans, going to Vulcans by the year 2155, the Vulcans kind of learned of the Breen and kind of decided just to, like, leave them alone. <laughs> and just was like, we're going to deal with other stuff in the Alpha Quadrant. You can just have that space, you know, kind of... I feel like there's this pattern here so far with the heavy hitters. They're just literally like... We're just going to leave you alone. <laughs> and that could just simply be, you know, the Breen really weren't really big until DS9. And so we're kind of like writing history as we go type of thing. So who knows? But in the Star Trek canon, everybody kind of just left them alone. Like Alabama. Everyone just leaves them alone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so finally getting to the Federation. So this is when it kind of gets a little bit more fun here. Um, in 2275, an Andorian captain um, named Kor made contact with the Breen at, when he was patrolling deep in kind of this unexplored Alpha Quadrant. This was the very first contact with the Breen for the Federation. And Kor actually reported, hey, do you know what the, these Breen people, they're very polite, but the meeting was kind of very reserved and everybody was kind of just cautious and didn't really show their cards the Federation, as you know, they do, they kind of piece together the evidence acquired from all these other species, and the Federation made the decision to do what the Vulcans had and just left the Breen alone. <laughs> so I guess the best thought is the left alone thought. I promise that's the last pun, Luna. Don't, it's funny, people like it. <laughs> but, you know, Starfleet, they're going to explore. They have this nature, you know, they're going to push the boundaries and they constantly kind of were getting closer to Breen and the Breen Confederacy territory. Many a skirmish would kind of erupt between the Federation and Breen marauders, especially in the year 2283. Um, and there was even suspicion that like, you know, the Breen raided and destroyed several outposts of the Federation, but there's no concrete evidence. So the Breen Confederacy suddenly just became a chess piece on the very complex board of the Alpha Quadrant that the Federation had to, you know, deal with. But it's really hard to deal with that chess piece when you don't know if you're dealing with a pawn or a rook or a queen or what, because, I mean, the Breen still remained impassive and unreadable. So the Federation really didn't know what they were dealing with. And, I mean, going now into a little bit more of the Breen history, I mean, it's best described they were very neutral, for most of their interstellar history. Um, I mean, the Breen are very, 
how can I say this? They're, they're invited to talks and diplomat, diplomatic meetings, and sometimes they accept, and I mean, sometimes progress is made, but it's very seldom that they show up to these things, and it's very seldom that they commit to them. It should be noted, however, that this is purely the Federation's experience with the Breen. Other species have engaged in trade with them, and I mean, particularly the Ferengi, which kind of surprised me, like researching, I was like, the Ferengi are the people that are going to like get to know this mysterious species really well, but I guess if there's profit to be made, they're going to follow the rules of acquisition, you know? I will say this, the Ferengi have consistent connection with this very withdrawn group. I mean, there's even rumors that the Breen gave, well, I shouldn't say, the Breen sold Frangi and Franginar their warp technology, you know, because I, if you think about it, it perfectly makes sense. The puzzle fits because, you know, there's not a lot of science and engineering on Franginar. It's all about, you know, profit, making business, making money. So it's like, why would somebody spend decades of science and warp field technology and warp field um, theory? I just think it's really funny. So I would really like this. Sorry, my, my wife just sent me a text and was like, you need to get this tattoo. And it's of a cat with a gun that says, if you mess with the meow meow, you get the pow pow. So I don't know if you if you don't know, I've I've probably like six tattoos and my arm is pretty much covered. So sorry, I got distracted. I was like, I have to share this. This is great. Anyway, so going back to the Breen um, and Frankie. So that's an interesting relationship. But, you know, stranger things have happened. Especially with Cardassia, because I feel like Cardassia is one of the closer systems and, I shouldn't say empires, but closer heavy hitters to the Breen. Um, and they even claim to have a home world on the Breen. And I don't know where, you know, that home world is, but Cardassia claims that, hey, we know them, we have embassy there. And it really wasn't until the Dominion War that the Breen really became this, like, true threat like threat to Starfleet. If you don't know, in Deep Space Nine, the Breen join the side of Cardassia in the Dominion against the Romulans, the Klingons, and the Federation. So they're at odds for the first time ever, and they're playing major roles for the first time ever. Which, if you think about it, is really brilliant on the writer's side, because then they could make the Breen whatever they wanted. You know, before then, very little came out about them. So then in DS9, they're like, oh, this is a blank check. We can make them whoever we want. So stepping out of like Star Trek canon and kind of being in the real world and then coming back, you're like, okay, that's probably exactly what happened. However, as we all know what happened in DS9 at the end, I'm not going to ruin it if you haven't seen it. Um, well, after the war was done and the Treaty of Bajor signed, the Breen, surprisingly, <laughs> just kidding, retreated back into their space and resume, you know, their secretive, prowling ways and as if nothing happened. And, I mean, still Starfleet and other um, Alpha Quadrant powers still learned a lot about them. But still, they were very going back to what they were used to. And that's kind of what we're left with, sadly. Um, not a lot. Maybe in the future we'll get some... Really cool Breen villain backstory, maybe in Picard, or if they do another like Picard TNG movie. Who knows? But it's very, it's very, uh, what's the word? Deep. You know, it's very 
fruitful. The land is very giving on this for the Breen. So, well, I don't know. Farm puns? Get off. It's okay, Luna. Get off my back. So going into like what the Breen are like just on the average Monday. You know, what are the Breen? What are they doing? And we can definitely say that the Breen and their species often are these kind of mercenary crews and they're raiders on their own regard. They hit targets with just overwhelming aggression and then slink back into their defended space. So they go, ah, kind of like a cat under a blanket. You know, they they get you and then they go back into safety. Um, although it should be noted that even such marauders are geared in the same fashion as the military wings, such acts are officially regarded as piracy, but the culture has an like inescapable warrior ethos to it, like bound by a code of conduct. However, unlike the Klingons, the Breen's code of conduct seeds pragmatism and expendency above all else. Um, they take slaves, as we talked about last week, as a resource to put their to put work in the mines, and they have the slaves have this cortical implant design. And they sift through people's memories for interrogation and just monitoring. And I mean, even despite the potential permanent damage it may cause. So they're, and again, kind of talking about this from last week, they rule with an iron fist. They really don't allow any rebellion, any even rebellious thought. And I thought the Romulans were bad. Jeez. Some prisoners have escaped and... They've reported like such instruments as well as the guards wielding like these neural truncheons, effectively these shock batons, but ones that are actively interfere with the target's nervous systems and cause permanent damage. So these cats can read your minds and then destroy your nervous system. Um, they're not very, not very friendly. I mean, it's not a very honorable way to kill your enemy or to keep your enemies under control, but it's an efficient one. Going into some of their technology, it seems that they have organic components and they may even have cloaking technology, but it's never been confirmed. But the big news is, is kind of their environmental refrigeration suits. And that's what they're known for. The ones that look exactly like Princess Leia from (laughs) Return of the Jedi. And it's really hard. I don't know if this is, again, getting into theory because a lot of times people speculate, oh, it's the point of the suits is to keep their internal temperature below zero. And although we don't know how cold it is inside those suits, it makes the, the occupant comfortable at a comfortable climate. However, I think, I think it was Wei Yun in DS9 that said, oh, I've been to the Brian home world and it's not cold. It's very lovely. Mystery for mystery's sake so that your enemy has no idea who you are and then you can go into the rest of the galaxy and people are just, oh, okay, you you don't have your suit on. We don't know you from Adam, so perfectly cool, bro. And I think it's, if I was dealing with something in secrecy, that's exactly how I would be. I would have my secret, you know, suits and ships, etc. And then if I ever wanted to go out and pirate or whatever, I would take that off and then be a completely different person. I think that's, you know, if you're being shady and a little deceitful, that's probably what they're doing. But nobody really knows. And again, because nobody has ever seen a Breen. And we've talked about this multiple times. Oh, real quick, one thing. So speaking of Breen, like, physiology, as we'll get into, because we have another great, outstanding, top-of-the-line theory here. 
The brain cannot be read by empaths, and even telepaths have trouble sensing their minds, almost kind of like the issues they have with the Ferengi. Interesting, I don't think there's a connection there, but who knows? The biggest theory I've seen so far after deep diving is that people suggest that the brain, in fact, have no blood or circulatory system. That, well, that could be recognizable to us, you know, standard humanoids. I mean, this is even like put forth the idea that, you know, there may be this gelatinous life form and that they only can remain solid due to their chemical makeup is if they go below, you know, negative, what is it, negative 77 degrees, like minus negative 77. So that's how they remain solid. So if it goes above that, you know, poof you disappear, which, you know, might help explain why no one has seen a brain. And, and when their helmets are removed and their suits are removed and they're that, that sealed environment um, and they're exposed to like, you know, normal temperature, they literally just evaporate and they have, you know, nothing's left. Maybe, maybe some little skeletal remains that we don't know, but there'd be nothing left. They just poof evaporate. And I, I kind of like this theory more than the, Oh, maybe they just like once their suits come off, they like self like destroy themselves so nobody can see them. I think that may not be true, but I think they're probably I like the gelatinous theory because the fact of somebody putting on a suit and you accidentally take it off or whatever, or somebody messes with you and, and like pops your suit off and you just die. I mean, I don't I like the idea of gelatinous because it's it's a little bit more mystery, but it's a little bit more logical. You know, and, and the fact we're break, we're kind of building the entire theory that they really don't have to be in the cold and that their home world's actually very nice is off one sentence from Wei Yun in an obscure DS9 scene. Like, he could have just been messing with the Mar or kind of just wanting to be like, oh, yes, I know them, being like a one-upper. So I don't really going to put too much faith in Wei Yun, number five or six, whichever one it was. So, I do like the gelatinous theory. We're going to go with that. So, we got Jello, Jello Thoughts. Now, that may be a title, Luna. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> Jello Thoughts. Anyway, um, there was a couple other, like, really weird stuff um, I found out about and that is canon. That apparently the Breen become pregnant at very young ages. And although this is still very pure speculation in Star Trek canon, it could just be because they have a short lifespan or there's like an evolved response to like the super harsh environment they live in and have a super high mortality rate. So they have to produce as quickly as they biologically can. Um, so it, it's really hard to tell. Also, I mean, as we talked about last week a little bit, the brain language is very garbled and has like this electric harsh tone to it. And it's really hard to replicate and to understand. And it's just, again, just more mystery. So Okay, moving on, we, we covered more of the biological side of it, more than I was expecting, but who knows. And again, for the political structure of the Breen, it's still unknown. We do know some things, like for example, um, the Breen Confederacy is the, their given name to their galactic government, and it does span several colony planets, include, including their frozen homeworld. As mentioned, I and I'm one of the people that... I suspect that there are multiple species, kind of like the Zindi, 
um, and they're unified together, and they have kind of like this council, this confederation together, and they're just different overall species, and not one particular individual species, but more of a tribe. And we talked about last week how uh, maybe even the species are ranked and are discriminated against on certain issues and and their value they hold are maybe different. Now, that may be true. Um, also, I know I've been saying thought a lot. So if you haven't listened to last week's thought is kind of like their leaders position titles. So like we have Cardassian Gull or Leggett and um, we, you know, we had admirals and Starfleet. The Breen have thoughts. <laughs> and this is like, I mean, it was written like 20, 30 years ago. So I mean, they have no idea, but again, agree that it's more of a tribalism confederation instead of this, you know, one overall species doing it for themselves. And I mean, you can kind of back this up a little bit because a lot of the federation encounters have been either strictly military or raider based. And again, it's suspected they have a strong warrior culture as a whole and suffering doesn't dissuade them at all, whether it be their own or inflicted on others. And this kind of wrapping up this concept of confederation and tribalism and their banding under different goals would kind of explain the wide variations in encounters. Um, you know, because sometimes we have little raids here and there and they go back. And then next we have these massive galactic altering attacks, you know, in the Dominion War, like their attack on San Francisco, which was, again, pretty much just to demoralize Starfleet and cause as much collateral damage as possible. And even though the Breen fleet was pretty much destroyed, they accomplished their goal. And it kind of comes back to the old saying that the Romulans had for decades, never turn your back on the Breen. And I think that's, I think that's a really sums it up and how we can kind of wrap up today's episode is they have different agendas. Sometimes they have different viewpoints on um, interactions with other cultures. Like I said, they were diplomatic at some points and wanting to partake in talks and other times they're relentlessly brutal and ruthless and capture enslaved owners like the Orions, like absolutely awful. But I think at the end of the day, I know the Federation has been trying for decades to build a consensus with the Breen and inquire as much intel as possible. But they, I mean, they've often just underestimated the species. And so it's just really hard to kind of make inroads with them. There's going to be rumors until we get more um, from TV shows or from potential movies in the future. It's just really hard to say. But like I said, it's very fertile ground for storytelling. It's very easy for writers to kind of make up this villain because they're just so fundamentally opposed to the Federation in every single way, shape, or form. So it'd be really easy to see them as a natural villain, you know, maybe in Discovery... Maybe not Discovery. <laughs> Leave the Breen alone, Discovery. Everything you touch is awful. Just kidding, Luna. It's okay. Discovery's okay. Either way, I think I think it would better be suited for like a um, Strange New Worlds. You know, that kind of um, prequel kind of world building I think would be better for them. But we shall see. Especially, you know, in the future, we don't really know where Star Trek's going to go or what kind of villains we're going to have. But this one is on a silver platter. So do your job, Star Trek writers across the world. But this has been a conclusion on our Breen series. 
We are done. No more brain after this. We have some exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. But, Luna, let's wrap it up. Again, thank you so much for listening. Wow, that was a lot of fun. I really like researching some things, you know, that are kind of a mystery in Star Trek and not really the average fan knows too much about. So we all come off smarter and better connected to our beloved Star Trek, which is one of the goals of the podcast we have here. I will say this. I've talked about it with some friends and some listeners. So I think we will do an episode by episode review of Picard. I hate doing those. I don't like it. But I think Picard season three is going to be so epic. And my expectations are sky high, which I am sure they will not be disappointed or thrashed in any way, shape or form. (laughs) Um, So I will be doing episode by week on review for them. Probably just take the place of news and brews. I think that's I think that's fair. So be on the lookout for that in February when Picard Season 3 premieres. And in the meantime, please make your way over to jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com. That site, again, if you click on wherever you're listening, on the episode description, you'll be able to see his website. That is jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com. He does great movie and TV reviews. I think he just did all the Star Wars shows ranked and movies ranked, so it was really great. Um, I'm actually watching Bad Batch right now. So, Jason, if you're listening, we need to talk about that. (laughs) Anyway, thank you guys so much again. And always remember, second star of the right, straight on to morning.